college basketball is back this week. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Holy City Hoops podcast. Hope you're all doing well. I am very excited about today's show. Not only do we have Cougar Hoops at the end of this week, but today we are doing something I have wanted to do for a long time, which is a mailbag episode. You sent in your burning questions here on the eve of Charleston basketball. We are answering them. To help me do that, our old pal Joe Wright is back on the podcast. You had questions on the starting lineup. You had questions on individual players, matchups in the CAA, the news out of James Madison University. Tons to cover. Thank you so much to everyone who sent in a question or questions. Seriously, this type of interaction makes this show so much more fun. Before we get to those questions, make sure you show up at TD Arena this Thursday for the season opener against South Carolina State, and then make sure you show up the next day. And the next day, it is a three games in three days opening weekend for the Pat Kelsey era. Let's start it off right. Let's get the Cougars to 3-0 before that big matchup against North Carolina. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to the Holy City Hoops podcast and you are following us on social media. We're always tweeting during the games and posting fun stuff. So make sure you are tagging along. All right, let's get into today's episode. All right, friends, Joe Wright is here, frequent guest on the podcast, CFC grad, Twitter personality, and a fellow Charleston basketball superfan. Joe, we've got college basketball coming back in a couple days this week. Are you excited? I am very excited. I mean, felt felt like basketball weather these last few days in Charleston. It's been 50 degrees, cold, raining. I mean, football is getting toward the end, but basketball basketball season just is so exciting to see everything going back with all the students at the block party and everything i mean i feel like there's been more excitement for this season than and any in the last few seasons even before covid it feels that way i mean i was telling coach kelsey i'm just excited for fans to be back in the arena and attendance to be back to normal a full schedule is very exciting just to like play all the games that are going to be on the schedule is exciting But today you are here for a very specific purpose, and that is to give the people what they want. So we put out the call on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We said, send us your questions about CFC hoops or about CAA hoops, college basketball, and the fans have answered. So Joe, you and I have the questions in front of us. We're going to go down each one, try to answer these, try to make sense of these. I I put them in an order, in in a progression that I think makes sense. So it's almost like a tasting menu of sorts, but I just want to get your take on these questions. I will give my thoughts and we'll try to make sense of this weird season where everything is already unpredictable. But how's that sound to you? Yeah, it sounds good to me. Unpredictability, that's the way we're going to go this year. (laughs) Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So I want to start with a question that we got multiple times. I think it's a very good question. Who do you expect to be Charleston's starting five? Um, This is a question that Nick Rodriguez asked on Instagram. Nick is a good friend of the podcast. And Tyler Owens on Twitter asked this as well. So I've been thinking about this. And my thought is Kelsey is going to prioritize seniority experience along with talent. So here's my five, and then I want to get yours. I'm going to go both returning starters from last year because of the experience. So Osanachi Smart at center and Brendan Tucker at guard. 
John Meeks is getting all the attention. We've gotten a lot of questions about John Meeks. We're going to talk about him more, but I think he's going to slide in at the power forward spot. I think he's going to be your starting four. And then the last two are difficult for me, but I think I'm going to, I think Kelsey wants to run like a three guard set. So I'm going to go Famir Ali at point guard. He started point guard for Radford last year. Seems like a natural fit to slide into the starting lineup here. And then this last one, I'm going Demetrius Underwood. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about who I considered there, but Demetrius Underwood, a very decorated Division three player, big guard, so we could maybe play some two, maybe play some three. I'm going with Demetrius Underwood in the starting lineup with Ali, Tucker, Meeks, and Smart. Who do you have? Yeah, I think I I pretty much kind of agree with what he, what you have. I mean, just Tucker and Smart have the CAA experience. They're the only, really the only other than Keegan, Keegan Harvey. They're the only guys on this roster that have any CAA experience. I mean, you got to lean on those three, especially early in the season. I mean, because most of the rest of the team, I mean, they have not played together. I mean, we all we have is two secret scrimmages. We haven't had any exhibition games. And then we have, bam, three games in three days to start the season. I mean, it's going to be telling those first three games in to see how the starting lineup gels and how and how many people they rotate in for these games. Do you have any intel on those secret scrimmages? Because I'm a crazy person who was parsing through Twitter and Instagram to find anything. Do you know anything about what happened? No, I don't know anything about really. I mean, I, all I know is that Bolon, the guy from from West Virginia and he had a, he had some sort of a, a knee injury, but right. that's about the only thing. So I saw him on a, in, in a knee brace on Instagram and saw him, but that's about all I could see. But I saw some posts on Instagram, you know, how they had all those special posts. That's crazy. Now how things have changed. You could see all the players, all the posts on Instagram and it's much easier to follow than it is like with Twitter or other side, other stuff. It used to be it used to be a real quote unquote secret scrimmage that like nobody could talk about, and now Jeff Goodman posts it on Twitter, you know, the week before, and everyone kind of knows <laughs> what's going on. We even get like some scores. Yeah, so I was I'm I'm glad you brought up uh, Dalton Bolin because he was one of the tougher people for me to to push out of that starting lineup, but I do think because of his injury, he's not. I don't know if he's going to miss time, but I don't know if he's going to be a starter from day one. Like you mentioned, he's got a, a brace on his knee right now. Uh, the other guy I had considered was Nick Farrar. Again, a high-level recruit. Pat Kelsey on, on this podcast called him a bucket. We know he can score. We know he's in great shape. But I think he kind of plays the same position as Meeks. And Meeks, because of the experience level, I just I gave the edge to. But I could see Farrar getting a lot of minutes. The other person I considered was maybe a more of a true small forward. Um, so if Coach Kelsey is going to go a true point guard, true shooting guard, true small forward, besides Meeks and Smart, I thought maybe like Raekwon Horton, um, who is a guy who is, is a freshman but brings some energy, was a high-level recruit. So those are like the three I would maybe consider sliding in, but I like the five I have. What, what, what do you think? Any, any tough uh, omissions for you? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's pretty, I mean, it's tough to see how, I think the starting five is going to be way different in January and February than it is in November. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't know who's going to gel, but I mean, conference play is what is most important. I mean, not, 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 not discounting the non-conference games, all the UNC and everything for Oklahoma State, but they have to win three games in March or four. So that's what you have to 
balance your season out too. Yeah, and we know Kelsey's going to play guys deep into the bench. Um, he, he's mentioned as much. All right, well, on the topic of roster, this question came from Aiden on Instagram. He says, which of last year's transfers will we miss the most this season? And I think you can, there's really only two options here, either Brevin Galloway or Zepp Jasper. I'm going to go Zepp um, because Kelsey needs a good point guard to run his system. And Zepp, we know, is a great, tough man-to-man defender, which Kelsey really likes. He talked about how that's how guys are going to earn playing time is by playing defense. So I think Zepp would have slid in perfectly here. And we know how effective he can be as a player. Brevin Galloway... Also a great defender, athletic, big, can score from anywhere, really high-level score. But I think just because of the fit, I, I would go Zepp as the, the guy I'm going to miss the most on this year's team. Yeah, I think I think Zepp would be mine. I mean, Zepp, it was just a ram for so long. I mean, he, gone, he went through all the battles in the CAA. I mean, he was just such a good player. I mean, Brevin Galloway, he misses three-point stroke. But, I mean, he, he was injured out for so much of last year. I mean, he didn't, didn't get to mm-hmm. play. He only played five five games, so it was like you didn't get to see you're mostly a Zep team for the rest of the season. I mean, he pretty much kept us in a lot of the games, I mean, that we played, that CFC played. He did. I remember a couple of games late in the season where Zep really bailed us out. Um, so, yeah. The, the other guys you could consider as options here, um, I think Cam Copeland would have fit in on this team pretty well. Very athletic guy. Uh I think he's at Austin P now. Dontavious King, I think he's a really talented player. I think he's actually going to make like an all-conference team there. It's more like I'm missing the potential that he would have had over the course of his career, not so much like missing from this year's squad. So for me, yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with Zepp. Yeah, I think Zepp, I agree with, with you that Zepp is probably the player that will be one of the top players, I mean, in top in the league. I mean, he kept them in so many games. I mean, it's going to be tough to miss, miss him the early part of this season. Yep, for sure. All right, another roster type question. And this is one that I was hoping somebody would ask because it's a good question. This is from John. Who will be the leading scorer on this year's team? A couple different directions you could go with this. Uh, You could go with the top returning scorer, which would be Brendan Tucker. You could go with uh, Famir Ali, who scored more points per game last year than Tucker did, but did it at Radford, maybe a step lower in terms of competition. You could go Nick Farrar, who again, really talented high school player, but didn't really get an opportunity because of some conditioning issues, but we know he can score. I think you could even go Dalton Bolin or Demetrius Underwood, two guys who have scored like a thousand plus career points. I mean, Bolin had a 50-40-90 shooting split last season, which is absurd. Um, But they're coming from, you know, the lower ranks of, of college basketball. But I think there's one obvious answer here. It's the one everybody's been saying. I think John Meeks. I think John Meeks is going to lead the team in scoring, just like he did at Bucknell last season. But I'm 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 wondering if you have the same take as me, Joe. Yeah, I mean, I think or John Meeks. I mean, he he's been around for so. I mean, he's only played six games last year. Bucknell. I mean, they're usually a power in the Patriot League. I mean, he he's not just played from this year, but it, I think John Meeks. So he he can do a lot of things on the court. And I think that he could be a really high end scorer. I mean, I see Bart Torvik, that's a computer prediction that a lot of people use. He has him scoring 15.5 points per game average and 
seven rebounds, and he's at the high, highest score. So that's what Bart agrees with. You know, who knows what everybody else does, but it'll be he's going to be real, really important for our, our season. Yeah, it it seems he seems, seems like he's going to be the guy. If he's the safest pick for leading scorer, who would you take as the second leading scorer? How about that? I'm going to throw a curveball at you. I'd say second leading. I'd say Tucker. I mean, Tucker, okay. I mean, he. You, know, you don't know what he could do. I mean, he, he could get three points, two rebounds, or he could have 35, like the game I was watched last year, the Drexel game. I mean, you do not know what he's going to do from night to night. And they need – he can get consistently like 10, 15 points. I mean, that's what they need out of him every night. Well, yeah, Kelsey is really high on Tucker, and he said he's he's come a long way in the last six months. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to see how Tucker plays in this system. I think it's actually maybe a better fit for him than Earl Grant's was because he can run, he can jump, he can get to the rim, which all seem like characteristics that will serve him well under Coach Kelsey. I think I'd agree. I think I was I would say Tucker, I would expect him to make the leap into like the 12 to 13 points per game kind of average he was just under double figures last year but i could i could see him sitting there Mm -hmm. i think i think you're we're both right on for that yeah all right (laughs) follow-up question related to john meeks this is from coogie monster on twitter who has been on the podcast before how good is john meeks and why will he win player of the year so the people agree they they are high on john meeks well let me just say this john meeks in those six games that you mentioned Average 25.3 points per game, which would have been tops in Division One basketball had he kept that up for an entire season. And I'm going to pause there to let that sink in. He yeah. may have led the, led the NCAA in scoring last year if he had played in more games. That's pretty crazy to think about. Four of the games he played were against Lehigh, which I don't know where Lehigh finished in the Patriot League, but it seemed like they're kind of a punching bag. But even if he, the the season before, so his true junior season, when he played in 31 games, he averaged 11 points per game. So even if he settles in right in between, like Bart is is projecting and he's 15 a game, I I still think he'd be the leading scorer. But if he can get 20, he would really, you know, be pushing for a a player of the year award. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I mean, the CA, I mean, CAA, the Patriot League did a CAA as a real step up. And I mean, yeah. you see how he had with all, um, he was um, played in six games. I mean, he, they had such a short, they had a shortened season because of COVID that they only played the conference games and he didn't even play in all of them. I mean, he had for Ken Palm, he had his six games. He had 12, 31, 23, 32, 31, and 23 in six games. So that was really, really good for that level. Yeah, and he's apparently in the best shape of his life, and he's fully healthy going into this season. So, yeah, I don't want to put too much pressure on John Meeks, but he seems, again, like the safe pick to to lead the team in scoring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, player of the year might be a little bit much. I mean, you have guys like Dylan Painter and all the guys. I mean, tough having James Madison. Not, I mean, we'll talk about James Madison later, but yeah. about how they're not eligible for the tournament. but. You have so many guys like the Northeastern guys. I mean, he could really, if John Meeks has a has a good season, he could really have a chance at the Player of the Year award. I mean, if they have like a top half in the CAA season or top four. Yeah, I think I'm I'm on the same page. I think in order to reach that Player of the Year contention threshold, you have to be like 20 points per game, and your team has to be 
definitely get a buy and maybe like finish in the top three or four, I think to, to merit consideration there. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you're, you're jumping ahead. So I, we did get it. We did get a good, uh, James Madison question. This is the news of the day or week, weekend week, kind of all of those. Why does the CAA hate the best athletic franchise on the East Coast, James Madison University, when that university is academically, socially, and athletically superior to all their league brethren? That comes from our friend Dan Crane on Twitter. It is dripping with sarcasm, but I did did want to get your take on the JMU situation. So for anyone who, who hasn't been following and isn't on CAA Hoops Twitter, JMU is officially leaving the CAA. They are making the step up into FBS football and joining the Sun Belt. That does open a spot up in the CAA, which I want to talk with you about, Joe. But really what's making headlines is what you mentioned. There's this CAA bylaw, and I'm going to paraphrase, so let me know if I'm wrong about any of this, that if you announce as a school that your intention is to leave the conference, you are ineligible to win championships. Is that the exact yeah that you can't play in that you can't be in the conference t- tournaments any of the league you can't be in the postseason at all yeah we could okay. be in like a minor tournament but you can't be in the conference tournament okay okay so yeah so it's this law put into place by the caa school presidents um and you know something that has come up i think by dan crane and others on on twitter is jmu has voted in favor of this rule in the past So the last time conference realignment was happening and other schools vacated the CAA, JMU agreed, hey, you're not eligible to play in the postseason if you're if you're leaving at the end of this uh, athletic year. But um, it's gotten the the league and the parties involved with the CAA some really bad press like Barstool's brought it up. Scott Van Pelt brought it up. Not a good look, not a good rule either, like something that CFC should note if if they're going to try to jump conferences um mm-hmm. but what what's your what's your take on the whole situation Joe Yeah I think it's just a, a bad rule I mean I mean um, other leagues don't have it like Liberty going to Conference USA and the Atlantic Sun doesn't have that rule but I mean I think that um when they the few teams left a, a few years ago you had Old Dominion and VCU and all those teams left the new conferences and they they went around it because VCU and didn't play in, they played in the conference tournament the year before they left the league. But George Mason, they had, a, they also did play in the CAA. But the 2013 season was kind crazy. I think the year before that CFC won in the league, we only had, they only had like seven teams in the conference tournament because all the teams were ineligible. Yeah. So it's such a dumb rule. The Student athletes who are being punished had nothing to do with this. It's administrators and athletic directors and presidents going back years, you know, well before most of these kids got to to campus. So I I, I guess there's still a chance for like an emergency vote to turn this over. Um, but if I'm CFC and I have my eyes on the Atlantic 10 or any other conference, I'm, I guess, like not making that announcement until the move comes. No. I wouldn't yeah. make that. I mean, it's just crazy with all the, everything changing. It's amazing how Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC and all these dominoes just yep. f- fell because of that. Yep. I'm just, I'm announcing that we are going to the A-10 tomorrow and it's going to be a <laughs> seamless transition. Nobody gets hurt. Um, yeah. Well, who, who would you, uh, if you could pick a school to replace JMU in the CAA, who are you going with? 
uh, uh, so many choices. I mean, I think Monmouth and Fairfield. I like Monmouth is in New Jersey near New York City. They have a lot of. They're in the Big South for football, which is hmm. odd in itself. It's like you see they want to improve their football, but when they keep going down to play Charleston Southern and Kennesaw State and all those teams, it's like it's tough to recruit when you're not in the same stratosphere as you, league as the others. But then you see also I've seen. Stony Brook be talked about University at Albany. Um, I've seen a lot of schools talked about. I mean, even I even saw Queens University in Charlotte talked about for somebody for going to the CAA great from Division Two. But I don't think that the CAA would take a Division Two no. call up. No, I really liked the UNC Greensboro rumor. I don't think it had any backing, and I think it was actually debunked by a journalist the other day. But you know how I feel. I hope the CAA goes back to a mid-major basketball powerhouse. Like, screw the football. Let them either go to the, the Patriot League or just do a football-only conference. Focus on basketball. Be a basketball league. That's what Charleston mm-hmm. wants to be in. So, basketball and baseball. Yep. So, yeah. My, my pick would be UNC Greensboro or any basketball-first school in the footprint. Mm-hmm. All right. What do we got next? Cover JMU. Uh, Let's get back on track with Charleston basketball. This was a question from Virginia on Instagram. If anybody knows me, you know who Virginia is. Which team in the CAA will be the toughest matchup for the Cougs? Um, I think this is another one where you could go in a couple different directions. I think you could go toughest on the court, which would probably, I don't know, maybe be like a Delaware just because of the, the size and experience. Maybe JMU because they also like to play fast. So your advantage under a Kelsey style of play is maybe negated by that. I'm going to go Northeastern though. And that is just because of the man on the sidelines. I think Bill Cohen would maybe be salivating a little bit looking at a team with a brand new roster and a brand new coach. I feel like he could kind of cut that team up. So I'm going to go a little outside the box on this question. I'm going to say Northeastern because of Bill Cohen would be, would be tough. I kind of think, I mean, James Madison and Northeastern are probably the two toughest. I mean, James Madison's going to have a chip on their shoulder the whole year. I mean, I know we talked about that yeah. before. Last question. I mean, they have the former guy, former coach at CFC, uh, used to be at CFC, yep. just in Annie with an interim at Byington. And they have a whole new, I mean, him and Kelsey. I mean, I know that they, that guy, they have, they, Charleston and JMU aren't rival, but they could be. Especially because you see, they're always the team that wanted. They they have a lot to prove, and then you always see Towson. Towson is always a tough matchup, no matter what. And it's very interesting to see how the season will line up because you start conference play. We have without the student. We have without the students. You have Drexel and Delaware to start the conference play. Those mm-hmm. are two tough matchups. Yeah, yeah, those are two top four teams according to the preseason poll. You also didn't mention JMU has Pat Kelsey's former player on the roster now, Charles Folden, who we talked about in the last pod. But he, I, you know, he's going to be giving you know the scouting team the most deep, detailed report about how a Pat Kelsey team is going to play. So, got that going for him as well. Yep, I think it's going to be tough. I mean, you see, always they we didn't CFC didn't even play UNCW last year because of COVID, so that's going to be yeah, interesting geez. as well. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. Both of those games got canceled because much when CFC had their COVID pause right before the conference tournament. So, 
I forgot. Yeah. Like you, like we said at the top, who knows, who knows what's going to happen. I'm, I'm anxious to listen back to this podcast at the end of the year. This is another question related to expectations. Um, this comes from Casey on Instagram. He wonders, what do you think is the ceiling for this team? And what is the worst case scenario? Mm. I think CFC probably has the widest you know, range of, of outcomes. I think a ceiling is first place and I think a basement is, is 10th place. But if I <laughs> tried to narrow it down e- even further, I think, I think the ceiling for this team is realistically maybe like second or third, third or fourth range. Um, I don't think they're the cream of the crop, even if things break pretty well. I think things would have to break perfectly for for that to for them to win like a regular season title. Um, ceiling, I don't think they're going to be the or sorry basement. I don't think they'll be the worst team in the league. I think just on talent, they're already above William and Mary and UNC Wilmington. But these preseason polls are wrong all the time. So I think I think I'm going to go instead of one through ten, I'll go three through eight as being the the range. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm pretty close to, I mean, I think like two or two to eight or two to nine, maybe. I mean, I don't think first place is possible. I mean, even they got a tough schedule because you see this close the conference season out. They have they have five out of seven on the road and the home games are James Madison and Towson. So that's a tough road at the end of the season. But I mean, you don't know how they're going to play. I mean, they got some tough stretches also i mean they have three home games in the middle elon william and mary uncw but they got to do well in their home games because they know the atmosphere at cfc is probably tougher if they take advantage of the atmospheres at those home games that they can have a good conference record because i mean you know atmosphere at some of the other schools is not as good as cfc so they got to take advantage of the home games definitely for sure for sure especially this start to the season i think charleston's gotta store some nuts for winter so to speak and pick up like you know go three and oh in this tournament that's gonna be at td arena against some low to mid-major teams and then you got the big unc game that fourth game of the season which hey i'm not ruling out charleston winning that game you know as crazy as it sounds it's gonna be hubert davis's first road game as a as a head coach the atmosphere is gonna be out of control last time unc came obviously they they lost it's going to be very difficult to scout CFC if you're an opponent, because again, there's like almost no holdovers. So I think this team is capable of pulling some upsets, uh, pulling that UNC mm-hmm. upset, pulling that OK State upset. I do think they're, they could maybe drop some games that they shouldn't because they're figuring things out. So that's why the range yeah. is as wide as it is. Yeah. I mean, the conference play is going to be very interesting, but you mean they have a tough schedule. I mean, they have to go to Chattanooga Got to go to Furman, Tulane. Those are all tough games. I mean, all I mean, Tulane's not as power in the AAC, but Chattanooga and Furman are very good in the SoCon usually. So mm-hmm. that's are going to both are going to be tough games. And then conference play, you don't know how who's going to be good until you January because you know all the stuff going on with the TV, flow sports, and all that. We could talk for a long time about that, but. You know a team that's in the top three in the preseason is going to finish in the basement, and you know a team in the basement's going to finish you know, up near the top. It happens every year. You just don't know who it's going to be. Another related question to this uh, that we also got from Aiden on Instagram was, what would have to happen for this season to be a success? So like, what? how are we measuring success in this first season under Kelsey, the great experiment, as it's being called? I think the 
winning a conference tournament game. I mean, I know people okay. want people are very yeah. I think it's getting to like the semifinals. I mean, it's tough to get. They have to be top six. I think top six would probably be a successful season because I mean, yeah. you see last year. I mean, they basically did this. They had so little continuity because they had so many games canceled, but. Top, no, most people are not expecting outside of Charleston, aren't expecting much from us. I mean, they're expecting, you see, the preseason had eighth, ninth, seventh, and then in the top six, then that's probably a success. And then if you get any higher than like fourth, then people are going to be very excited about about them. Yeah, I think I think finishing top six and getting that by is, is a good measuring stick. I think winning a conference tournament game, which I don't think Charleston's done the past two seasons. I think, yeah, that's, that's the last two seasons. They haven't won one. I think 19 was the last year they won a conference tournament game. Yeah. Um, honestly though, Joe, I think the bar is even lower. I think Kelsey has plenty of slack on his leash for this first season. I think expectations are low. And if he, if he goes sub 500, I don't think anybody's going to be panicking. I think he comes in with that kind of resume and, and that kind of trust and Matt Roberts is going to give him time and be patient with him, but he's a really good coach. And I think you see that kind of respect in, in some of the preseason rankings, but I, th- I think expectations are lower, but certainly finishing above 500 and getting a buy would be, definitely be a successful season. I'm just hoping everybody finishes healthy and we see some positive signs from the younger guys. So I, I think expectations are low. Yeah, definitely. I mean, after what happened, I mean, you see last year was just so odd. I mean, you had us playing our last home game was a Division Two team. You wouldn't even know that the yeah. season, they still, I mean, they got Drexel in the tournament. Nobody had Drexel doing anything. We were a three seed in the conference tournament, but Drexel had played so few games. I don't think they played more than a couple of home games. And they were the six seed, and they, three days in March, that was like that was their what now their season crumbled and then they won those three games, went to the tournament, and then hopeful that they'll probably be top near the top in the preseason this year. They are. Yeah. Even though they got smacked in the first round as a sixteen seed. <laughs> All right, another question related to individual players on this roster. This is an interesting one. Any pro prospects on this year's team? That's a question from RS. Charleston has obviously sent three guys to the NBA in recent years, and Joe Cheely, Jarrell Brantley, and Grant Riller. I think the obvious answer to this question is probably John Meeks, because we are on the same page. We think he's going to be the most talented player, but I'm going to go maybe off the radar a little bit. I'm going to go with the talented freshman from across the pond. I'm going to go Babakar Faye as a pro prospect. Um, I think you probably saw this article, but a couple years ago when when Baba was like a 15 or 16 years old, Mike Schmidt or Jonathan Gavoni, one of the NBA draft guys, wrote about like prospects from the NBA Africa Academy who, you know, to watch over the next couple of years. And Faye was on that list. We know he's super athletic. We know he's super long, has like an NBA body, needs lots of development. But I think by the end of four years, he might be an enticing enough prospect to uh to warrant maybe some nba attention so i'm gonna i'm gonna go off radar and say Faye. but who do you have yeah i think i mean Faye is nobody knows anything about him I and mean, he's from senegal so it's like we don't have any tape on him or anything i mean i i like seeing like the i mean 
the, the wide doubt Alton Bolon and a couple of the other guys, they're trying to boost their exposure. I mean, you see Bolon, yeah. I mean, he was a three-time D2 All-American, but he was at West Liberty in West Virginia, and he he's trying to boost his his stock. I mean, even if he doesn't get it, like, in the pro, pro ball, I mean, there's always European leagues he could play in. I mean, there's always leagues all these people can play in. It's not like NBA or G League or bust all encompassing all over the world i mean who knows what how the season's going to turn out i mean you saw how um some guys are it's like brantley he went from unheralded prospect to being in the nba so it's very interesting to see how it'll all look i mean it could be it could be nick farrar when the acc was recruiting him they must have thought that he had potential um it could be rain smith from australia who played is one of the best young players in australia so he might have you know pro intentions but i think it's it's probably going to be meeks just because he'll be the the best player on the team we think but i like Faye. i like i'm, I'm sticking with my guy Faye. <laughs> and then we got a fun question from our pal cullen baldwin uh who you and i know and he has been on the podcast as well who wins in a 1v1 game to 21, Andrew Gowdlock or Grant Riller? I will open this one to you first. What are your thoughts, Joe? Uh, I think, uh, I mean, I'd say Riller. I mean, Riller has all, he could just post up and do all, all things he could do, but Gowdlock, he has such a long, he had such long range as a shooter. It would be very good. I mean, they could televise it and put it on <laughs> because... Who would win? I mean, it's it'd be probably 50-50 toss-up, maybe 60-40 at worst, depending on who. Both guys played in the, N- or in the NBA. They both had very decent careers. Rillers had been in the league for a year or two. I mean, he when Gowdlock played on the Lakers, you wouldn't think he was the, before um, two years ago, he was like on the last playoff team the Lakers had before LeBron I mean I think Andrew Gowlock's career high in the NBA is probably like 20 points I think he had you know in one of those playoff games before he went um to the G League and international we know I'm a big Andrew Gowlock fan but I think I'm going Grant Riller in in a 1v1 I think Grant Riller's first step is deadly I think he'd mm-hmm. I think he'd take I think he'd take Gowlock off the dribble and be able to get to the rim and he's, he's so shifty and has so many moves to get a shot off, but you're right. Gowdlock could probably stand seven feet behind the arc, and unless Grant Riller has a hand up, and even if he did, Gowdlock <laughs> is probably sinking that shot. So, yeah, you're talking mm-hmm. about the two best players in CFC history. In their primes, though, I think it would be, yeah, a really, really good game, but I would take Riller just because of the one-on-one ability by a, mm-hmm. by a hair. Yeah, Riller is better creating his own shot. Yeah, so many, so many moves in the bag for, for Grant Riller. Andrew Gallo mm-hmm. could hit him with the floater, though. We all know how good that floater was. It wasn't just the, the three-point shot. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, those those are all the questions we got. Joe, I, I noticed you did not submit a question. Do uh, you have any questions that you are, are burning a hole in your brain and you need answered? Uh, I, I was just trying to thinking about something. I mean, you know how what the, what the attendance is going to be. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, I know more about than that than you. I mean, being here with everything going back to pretty much normal. I mean, we haven't gone fully back. I mean, we still have wearing masks in the arena, TD arena. But the the atmosphere for the first few games is going to be very, I feel like that 
what's going to have to get them going in the next, the first few games of the season, especially that tournament when they have three games in three days, the student atmosphere at TD Arena, because there was almost no students last year. And yeah. the atmosphere is so dead in the arena. I mean, it was like, I went to most of the games and it was like, there were a thousand people in there, but I mean, we were all, all over the place and you saw all the um, different um, statues and stuff that, that they had in there and it was very odd feeling in there yeah it was it was bizarre watching a lot of those games and charleston had more fans than most teams because of what south carolina was allowing um yeah, yeah I'm, I'm hoping it's rocking i hope i think pat kelsey's energized the the students i think they're itching to to go to a game so yeah i think those first three games are gonna be really important it's tough to as a student to show up for three three days in a row and keep the energy up. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you've got that UNC game right afterward. So, you know, kids have, have got to be charged up for that. And hopefully they're going in yeah. 3-0. Yeah, I mean, it's hope. It's just Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You don't know how they're going to mean The first game is usually they have a lot of huge, they have a big crowd. But then mm-hmm. Fridays and Saturday, who knows what the the atmosphere will be. That'll be a key because you got to see how they look in those games. And then they're not home for a while after the UNC game. I think they got two home games after that in the non-conference and then they got um conference play so they got to take advantage of the home wild strikes because then then the first two conference games are while the students are gone the the, the one yep. televised game we have the televised game against Drexel on December 29th CBS Sports Network and then Delaware on New Year's Eve that's going to be on I think it's an afternoon game it's going to be interesting atmosphere yeah it's a front-loaded schedule for sure Feed the students out there uh, for those first couple games. You know, I was thinking that I, we didn't talk much on the pod today about some other guys off the bench, like, you know, the, your Keegan Harveys or your Ben Burnhams or your Raekwon Hortons. I'm wondering which of these true freshmen is going to be the most tantalizing. Uh, so that would be Horton, Smith, Burnham, and Fay. I already mentioned, you know, Babacar, but I, I really like Ben Burnham's game. I wonder how he's going to play as a Division One player. And we talked a lot about points, but we didn't say, you know, who's going to lead the team in assists or rebounds or block shots. We didn't mention Charles Lampton at all. Um, I think he's going to lead the team in blocks as a backup to, to Osanachi Smart. So, yeah, I think I think there's still plenty of questions to be answered. Even after that three-game stretch to start the season, I think we'll know a lot more about this team uh, in, in kind of that, like, condensed environment of, of three games in three days. But, uh, yeah, anything else you have, Joe? Uh, I just think, I mean, it's just a, that's an open canvas this year. You don't know. I mean, a lot of teams, you just see, know what they're going to do. I mean, this team is called the Charleston team. You don't know what they could do from night to night. You're going to see some growing pains. You're going to see peaks and valleys. And it's going to be very interesting through, through this season. I mean, 30 games. I mean, we had more, so many more games than last year. I mean, there was times last year we only had, they only had the Saturday-Sunday game. You'll have the turnarounds now and everything. It's going to be interesting to see them in a normal season. Yeah, well, hopefully this is the last time we have to answer these types of questions. And, you know, a couple games in, we'll be saying, you know, we'll be changing our expectations. We'll be changing, you know, who we think is going to do what uh, after we have some evidence. So I'm excited, Joe. I'm excited to see some games. I'm ready for college basketball to be back. It's been a long summer and last two seasons, really. 
but it's going to be awesome. And I appreciate you coming on and, and helping me answer these mailbag questions. Thank you everyone who sent these in. This was a lot of fun. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and uh, Joe, I'll see you when the, when the ball tips. I'll see you when the ball tips and I'll be tweeting my thoughts. I'm SCTV <laughs> man on Twitter. If you, I'll be at the, I'm a season ticket holder. So I'm be at most, almost, but most of the game, perhaps all home games. And then you'll see my thoughts there and it's going to be a fun season. I always have a good time picking you out of the crowd on the Flow Hoops broadcast, Joe. I always know <laughs> <laughs> where to find you. All right, y'all. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Joe. You're welcome. All right. Thank you to Joe for being on the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode. Can't wait to see you next week when we're breaking down some games. Peace. <laughs>